0: Three, two, one. Happy New Year! With the cinema crew with Village Cinemas. Will Smith becomes a bird in Spies in Disguise. Let the beat drop. Special Agent Lance Sterling. I'm the world's greatest spy.
1: There are so many gadgets I want to test in the field.
0: Boom. A remake of the classic story in Little Women. You'll need to marry well. You are not married, we? Well, much. that's because I'm rich. Women have minds as well as just hearts. <laughs> and I'm sick of people saying that love is all a woman is fit for. And Guy Ritchie returns to his roots in the gentleman. So you got Mickey. He's gorgeous. He's golden age, but dry eye. He's next generation. And they started a war. In the war. Climb of your... off a hawk. That's this week on The Cinema Crew. Hello and welcome to The Cinema Crew. Now I should talk a little quieter because some of you are probably still a little hungover from the New Year's celebrations, but this is The Cinema Crew, the podcast that talks new movies every week. My name is Michael Campbell and I will be your host, but I'll keep it at a low hushed tone. Joining me as always is Fiery McIntyre. Hello! Oh, i do you got to wake him up. And Dan Miranda. Hi. Now, your chance to win a gold-class double pass, start the year off right, have a bit of a snooze in the seat if you're still hungover, coming up just a little later on, but first. I'm going to tell you a story. Now, I can't be specific
1: about the heroes and zeros, but there is a lot of money hanging in the balance. That's the one I my have Oh, it's really warming up now. Ow.
2: If you smell smoke, there's a fire. You're
1: going to have to stamp that out quickly. I've been waiting so long to the only way a lion survives, not by acting like a king, by being the king. Oh.
0: Guy Ritchie has spent the last few years making huge Hollywood blockbusters like Sherlock Holmes and the recent Aladdin. But the gentleman sees a return to his roots in gritty British crime comedy. Is this a return to form or a step backward?
1: This is definitely a return to form for Guy Ritchie. His signature films are stylish crime capers like Snatch, Rock and Roller, one of my favourites Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, and it is very much in that ilk. This one we've got Matthew McConaughey as the lead role and he plays Mickey Pearson who's an American living in London and he's got the biggest marijuana empire in Britain. But when word gets out that he's looking to sell it off, it triggers an array of plots and schemes by those who want his fortune.
0: And Matthew McConaughey is a really weird addition to a Guy Ritchie film in theory. Mm. But man, he fits mm. right in, doesn't he? Oh,
2: perfect. Because yeah.
0: you often think of like, like Statham and Vinnie Jones, they're the people you always think of when you think of like the Guy Ritchie crime film. And Matthew McConaughey has got that real kind of like surfer dude, stoner dude vibe. But it, I was amazed at how well he really just fits into this world kind of seamlessly.
1: And they did dress him up like Guy Ritchie. And I know, Cambo, that you like when a director puts himself in a film. Yep.
0: I love it. I don't think I did notice that, that he looked a lot like Guy Ritchie. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously uh, the the question is, you know, he started making kind of these gritty British crime caper comedies, and then he went and made huge blockbuster entertainment. Do you think that some of what he learned making the big blockbuster films has been applied to the crime capers now? Or do you think it's kind of old school Guy Ritchie in the sense it's like way back to basics. Well, that's a
2: a pretty loaded question, Cambo, because this is actually only the second Guy Ritchie film I've seen. (laughs) After Aladdin, um, yeah, you know what you get with Aladdin, but this was an introduction for me and okay this well is...
0: in, in that sense then since you've only got Aladdin yeah. as a barometer yeah how different does this feel because it's very different
2: well I love Aladdin but I think this as a film is 10 times better <laughs> this is such a fun piece and it's just uh, I love how humorous it can be and on the nose and it's really like edgy and gritty and all the characters bring it like yeah everyone's a supporting actor but they're all leads as well I feel that the way that they all play a part of each other's, you know, storylines really helps to, it's it's like a puzzle, like you're adding Mm. all these pieces and then when you step back and look at it, it's like a masterpiece.
0: Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: The story is kind of framed as a, a narrative being told by Hugh Grant and his character has confronted this other guy and he's telling this story and then it kind of becomes the film as he's telling it. And there's a lot of plot twists and turns that happen in the story and you don't really know what's going on and it all kind of converges right in the end It comes together. It's one of those films where you can go back and watch it and knowing what you know from the end, enjoy it on another level when you see it again.
0: And I think because it is an, a real ensemble piece, mm. even though it's kind of framed around Matthew McConaughey, mm. And ensemble films don't always get this mixture right, but I think The Gentleman does, where every Mm. character gets a moment to really shine. for sure. Uh, Because I remember seeing the trailers and being like, man, Colin Farrell looks really good. And he didn't come into it until a little bit into Mm. the film. But then when he comes in, He's like everyone as soon as they're introduced, they get like a moment. Henry Golding has a few really great moments. Uh Ukraine has a, a couple of really great moments with an insane voice that he's doing. Yes, hello, Mickey. You know, it's like this <laughs> weird kind of like Yeah, so a
1: lot fun. of them are doing really weird accents. It's really strange to see Michelle Dockery from Down you to might Nabby, know yeah. yeah, Noah from Downton Abbey. Doing a really cockney accent. Yeah, Being yeah. <laughs> very different. And she's just like a power top. She's so good. I love that her character runs a mechanic for women. It's run by women, all the mechanics are women for female customers. That's really cool.
0: And um, in fact, okay, let's say this is just a quick warning about the gentleman because, yes, Guy Ritchie did direct Aladdin and maybe your kids loved Aladdin. Do not, mm. under any circumstance, take them to see the gentleman. Mm. This is a pretty adult film. It's earned its MA rating and it's earned it very fairly. Mm -hmm. There's very liberal violence and use of a very bad profanity in there. (laughs) Uh, So just be warned because I know that some people might only be familiar with his more recent output. This is old school Guy Ritchie, 15 and over.
1: Yeah, Dan, you counted how many times they say the c uh, word,
2: The special word for letter word. Uh, Twenty seven times, I believe, throughout this film, which
1: I thought sounded not a lot compared to how many times I thought I word. heard it. I
2: think yeah, it feels a lot more. I
1: think for Australian audiences, it would be different than American. Yes, and maybe even British as well. We take it less seriously than Americans would, but I reckon they they would be a harder yeah. rating in America for that mm. word.
0: So this film has a lot of twists and turns, and in fact, we've actually recorded a live spoiler special, which will be coming out as a bonus episode anytime now, which you can listen to. We get into all the nitty gritty, we get into all the spoilery details with the live audience, and we even get some of their reactions as well. So make sure you keep an eye out for that. But who do you think should see The Gentleman?
1: This is a fun romp, if you like Guy Ritchie classic films. It's stylish like Kingsman or the Ocean series. I would want to put a content warning on this as well. There's an attempted sexual assault scene and uh, allusions to bestiality, which may not be everyone's cup of tea's, but it's, it's all fun and games. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah, so my uh, prediction is Guy Ritchie films are all about power and this is very powerful in every area. You can imagine it's extremely meta, it's hilariously executed and I feel, you know, this is going to be a great film for, you know, 20 years and up. Like, if you're if you, you going on a date, see this film.
0: Hey, Meg, you're the only sane member of your
2: family. Meth is a shy girl. Joey is a lost cause. And Meg? Oh! Try girls have a way of getting into mischief. I know.
0: Greta Gerwig found huge success in her debut solo directing effort, Ladybird, in 2017. And now she's back with her sophomore attempt, a reimagining of the classic tale, Little Women. Is there still life to be found in this frequently adapted story?
2: I believe there is a ton of life unbeknownst to me because (laughs) I thought, you know, this story had been done several Mm -hmm. times in Mm -hmm. several different mediums, but Greta Gerwig has done her homework with this film and it's an incredible adaptation of the much-famed novel. So in this, so if you don't know the story of Little Women, it focuses on four sisters, Jo March being the protagonist, then you've got Meg, Amy and Beth, and basically it just goes through their life story and all the challenges that they face because this is set during the civil war. Their father is serving in the war. They live at home with their mother and also a maid and like they have so many interactions and I wouldn't say that they were the poorest of the poor but they're not certainly rich but they do have affiliations and it just really goes through their life journey but with one thing that really brings this story to life because it goes from the present day to the future from the present day to the future and there is nothing to really guide you along that path and you're, you're constantly playing this battle in your head of when these scenes are taking place. There are small clues but, yeah, I really love the way that Greta has constructed this.
0: Yeah, it's because Little Women is kind of, I guess, arguably the most famous coming of age story. And yeah. It's kind of, I'm almost like started this this genre of like young teenage coming of age stories and you're right, so it does play in in the further future in which everyone is returning to the house mm. and then the flashbacks in which everyone's living in the house and they are kind of coming to a point where they converge. You see one is leading to the other. Like it, it's, it's this interesting thing where you're seeing one series of events lead to the other series of events mm. and about halfway through you're like, oh, I see where this is all going to come together and it does come together really well.
1: So if we don't know, it's based on Louisa May Alcott's novel of the same name. And that was written in the 1800s, late 1800s. And it was originally published in two volumes. And the first volume is in the past when all the sisters are living at home. And the second volume is them when they're older. And then it was republished as just the singular title of Little Women in one volume. And so what Greta Gerwig's done is taken, the I guess, parts of the second volume when they're older and they've got different lives and have moved away. And that's how we start the film. And it's more sort of flashbacks that the character Jo has to her time at home, which was lovely and gorgeous and nice. It's and like happy a picturesque her. living, isn't it? Yeah, like her with her sisters. sisters. And then it she grows up, and things are terrible and bleak mm, and cold. Yeah. And
0: even even just um, even in in the color the color the palette color palettes, of the film, yeah. you, that that that's probably the biggest hint you have. Yes. to when a scene starts, yeah, it is much more vibrant in the past. It's a little more desaturated in the future. I I just thought that this film, I mean, surprise, surprise, comes alive the most when it's the four women. Yeah, the scenes that they're in, it's it's like a ball of energy. Yeah, it's <laughs> because I, I, I've seen like adaptations of this where it's kind of, you know, they're lounging and they're sitting and they're talking. But similar, you can really see the ladybird in this film, mm-hmm. by which I mean that had such a free-flowing energetic feel to it, that movie. And you can see that Greta Gerwig is like injected all of those scenes, which could be a little more straightforward talking scenes and they're all hitting each other and they're climbing over each other. I thought that was the standout of the film. Anytime that those four are on screen together – I thought the film was just brilliant. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I think because in a lot of period films, characters are expected to be straight-laced and proper and you don't see a lot of that in this. When they're alone, just at their house, they're more familiar with each other. Obviously they're not proper little ladies and all laced up in their corsets. They're just at home and they love jumping on each other and playing around and messing around and that's what, Is the most exciting to see. So I think a lot of films kind of go with the they're very proper and they just sort of talk in the lounge room by Mm. the fireplace with each other. Yeah, and that's boring.
0: Not like down. It's not relatable. No, I'm not even going to bury the lead. I love this film. Yeah, I thought it was like it was so full of like heart and whimsy, and it it was I I had such a good time with this film, and that's not to say that it doesn't have more dramatic scenes. It obviously does, but. It just made me feel really good. Like honestly, I know that's such an earnest thing to say. But I just had such a big smile on my face this whole film.
2: I was really impressed with the production design of this film by Jess Gonchubb, whose credits include Hail Caesar and even The Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, it, absolutely the, beautiful. The, like it? the scenery, the, the materials and the fabrics of the dresses, It's it just, I felt like I was watching a Charles Dickens tale on screen because mm-hmm. you just feel like you're within that time period. And it's
0: and the amount of outfits that are in this film, mm. I don't think any one character wore the same outfit in any two scenes oh. and all of them were like spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's like big balls and there's big stately homes. It's all like if I think that there should be a shoe-in for the Academy Award for Best Production Design, hands down. It's absolutely beautiful. And mm. it's something that I do sometimes notice in films like when it's really, really great. Mm. And this one in particular, I just kept saying like, oh, my God, it's so good, mm. <laughs> I know, which is maybe a mundane thing to point out, but it's something that like all the details are really good in this film. Now, we've talked a little bit about the little women, but maybe we should talk about the cast behind them. Yes as the, as the main little woman, if you will, Joe Marsh, Saoirse Ronan, who we talk about every couple of weeks it feels like on this show, <laughs> we talk about her a lot. There's something about a uh, Greta Gerwig film that gets these performances from her that are so almost silly in a way, you know, she really seems a lot more laid back. Normally her films are like on Chesil Beach and stuff. She's such a brilliant actress and her role's always so refined, but she really lets loose in Greta Gerwig films. and I love seeing it because she does have really good comedic timing. And I love whenever they use her in the right way. We also have Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, and we have Eliza Scanlon. Funny enough, the classic American novel, Little Women, none of the Little Women played by an American at yeah. all. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that, as you said, the the vibrancy that the actors give to these characters, all of them give that. Mm. And yeah, I guess it's part of the set production, the the editing, the the lighting, the cinematography of it it just all brings together, but each of the actors in this film bring that vibrancy. And I think that's what is really relatable. Uh, And that's why you really feel for the characters.
0: I would even say I think that Florence Pugh kind of steals the movie. And traditionally that her character is people's least favorite Mm. because she's a little bit entitled, a little bit bratty. But Florence Pugh plays her in this huge way, like she's she's shouting and she's jumping over people. And I think that she kind of walks away as the standout in this, which is no mean feat. You've got Meryl Streep, you've got Laura Dern, you've got Sasha Ronan. And I think, and this is through no fault of the performance, Emma Watson it probably comes out the most, I would say, by the numbers. But I would say that's maybe the, the, that character arc yeah, is less character. exciting. Yeah. inherently. Yeah,
1: I think with Florence Pugh's performance, I felt like it was a bit caricature Oh,
0: really? Where it
1: was a bit over the top, and it was kind of like that, Entitled schoolgirl having a hissy fit type. Well, you know, you know what's funny is,
0: and I won't, I won't say who, but there was someone specifically in my life, and I'm like, oh, you are, you are her. You could see yeah. it.
1: Like I know. Yeah. You. <laughs> I think afterwards, some of us talked, and all the people there with siblings thought her mm. performance was great. And I don't have siblings. Oh right, <laughs> there we go. I was like, oh, Maybe okay, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. she is
0: <laughs> the Brady sister. Okay, and. Just quickly on Florence Pugh, because I think she's amazing. And what a year she's had between Little Women, where she kind of comes out as one of the standouts, Midsummer, and Fighting with My Family. Mm. I really think she's like right on the precipice of being like a huge movie star.
1: Yeah. We
0: also need to talk about The Heartthrob, Timothy Chalamet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are you not a Timothy man? Oh, I was the, the foreign man. The, the, you were the oh, foreign yeah. man.
1: At the end, oh, of course, yes, end. yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the
0: dueling love interests. Yeah. So Timothy Chalamet has had this reputation lately of being like a real heartthrob, uh, but a lot of the movies that we have watched with him, like Beautiful Boy and mm. stuff like that, he's so downtrodden in what. But this is the first time I've been like, man, he is charming. Like you can kind of see the hype around him uh, from the the first moment he comes in. He plays Laurie, the the boy that hangs out with the, the boy women. next door. <laughs> the boy next door. I thought he was great. He was everything he needed to be. He was just charming enough but just snaky enough and a little bit dapper but a little bit kind of on the edge. I really, really liked him.
1: I think he was more believable in the more emotional scenes when he was just being quiet and proper. He didn't, yeah, didn't do it for me. But maybe, yeah, with the throb thing, he's probably a bit young for us. Yeah, 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 he is. Like I can see that girls would go crazy for for him.
0: Well, and it's funny, there is a a subplot in which – Florence Pugh's character, she's a painter, and I actually th- I think I said to you, Dan, yeah. he does look like he's from a like a Renaissance painting. <laughs> he's got that weird like soft skin yeah. beauty about mm, him. Mm. But yeah, I, I I mean, I just thought he was really good. I think that's not necessarily an easy character to pull off because it can come really boring. And I think he did a, a really good job. I agree.
2: Yeah. I wanted to say that many lines in in the film direct quotes from Alcott herself, and along with Joe also being a writer in the in the story, that it sort of sets up a premise that Little Women is you know, basically a pseudo-biographical yeah. story of the author herself.
1: Yeah. It kind of was based on Louise Malcott's mm. own life and she had three sisters. So it's a semi-autobiographical
0: There's also something that I've I've found. So I, I think I'm kind of like blessed to be surrounded by these like
1: beautiful, strong, independent
0: women. And a few of them that I've talked to from this movie said that there there are certain like sequences and speeches in this movie that really like kind of cut mm. to the core of them. And mm. I think that they're handled so beautifully. They're not too on the nose, but they're they're very timely. And I thought that, I mean, from my perspective, and I'd love everyone else's perspective, I thought it was so brilliantly handled where you, you see exactly what these speeches are really about, mm. but they also make complete sense in the context of the story as well.
1: Yeah, the... The main issue that the girls deal with obviously is that their prospects of marriage is their only way to live in the world and most of them marry down a class and they marry for love which is completely taboo <laughs> in that society but they are all rebelling against gender norms and social expectations that all they're good for is is marriage and babies but I, what is different about this film is that all of them portray that to some extent Whereas in the original story and like the ninety-four version of the film, it's only Joe who's really about that, and all yeah. the other girls are like, Oh well, that's my life, that's Go. fine. And Joe's the only one who rebels, where it's more of a nuanced conversation that, say, with Florence Pugh's character, kind of struggles with that as well. She knows she should marry and she's trying to and she doesn't want to and and kind of makes that clear. But it's Joe's the only one who's more active in rebelling against it.
2: And interestingly, with Meryl Streep in the cast, she plays the wealthy mm. aunt of all these yeah. ladies and she's constantly in their ear telling them they have <laughs> to basically marry a sugar daddy because, you know, they're not going to amount to anything more than that. <laughs> yeah. And she wants obviously security and wealth for them. Yeah. And obviously in this time it was, you know, we I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be a woman at this time.
1: Yeah, because she acknowledges even then giving that speech to the girls that she knows that's horrible yeah it's, that's all we're good for to to marry a man but it's kind of the way that she sees the only way you're going to have a good life so mm. in the same breath as she's saying you should get married she's like well it's crap that Oh, well. And who would, have, do it. who
0: would have thought in a film written and directed by a woman, produced by a woman starring mainly women, it was the one that portrayed women with the most nuance? <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> so, who do you think should see Little Women?
1: I think a lot of people should see this. Mm. If you liked the original, I've got very fond memories of the 94 version um, in my head. And if you just want to see a heartwarming family story at this time of year, it's a good Christmas film.
2: Yeah, this is a story of family, love, choices, time, and, and hope. And although I'm sure that the This is predominantly aimed at a female demographic. There is literally something that anyone can relate to in this charming coming-of-age story that's a near-perfect retelling of, dare I say, a definitive version of this infamous tale.
1: Yeah, don't just take it because there's women as Mm. the main characters that it's a women-only film. I don't like when people think that.
0: Also still in cinemas, Jumanji The Next Level. All bets
2: are off when the game starts to glitch.
1: Weird cat-human hybrids in a musical.
0: <laughs> Jojo Rabbit, Paikou Atiti as Hitler. <laughs> and at Rivoli, Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: An 18th century French love story.
0: Yes, you can hear about all of those movies and, in fact, everything that's in cinemas right now in our back catalogue which you can access from whichever podcast app you'd like. You don't remember me, do you? What can I say? I meet a lot of bad guys. I'm going to make this hurt.
1: Oh, Lance! Sterling?
0: Oh, I'd love to have some fun. I'm going to show you pain that you can't imagine. Spies in Disguise boasts one of the more bizarre premises for a kid's films in a while. You know, it's the classic tale of a renowned super spy being turned into a pigeon by a socially awkward scientist and teaming up and saving the world. I mean, how many times have we seen that story? Does this work or is it just madness?
1: This one was surprisingly charming. I actually had a really good time. Me too.
0: Like to my utter shock.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't expecting a lot, but maybe that's why I enjoyed it more than I thought. You've kind of basically summed up the film, but Will Smith plays Lance Sterling, who is the world's best spy, but he gets framed for a crime and the only person who can help him is this nerdy tech guy called Walter and who's voiced by Tom Holland. And Walter turns Lance into a pigeon and that's just the greatest disguise, isn't it? Because (laughs) nobody notices pigeons and they're everywhere. So he can go anywhere in the world and not be recognised and they have to then track down the real criminal as Pigeon and Tech Guy.
0: Yeah, the real criminal bo- voiced by Australia's own Ben Mendelssohn. Yeah. <laughs> which took me completely by surprise because he's got such, I mean, I don't know whether Americans pick it up, but I think Australians recognise the Australian accent and his specifically has got this slight lisp to it. He often plays villains in films. He does, No yeah. exception here. And as soon as he starts speaking, I'm like, oh, my God. They got Ben
1: Mendelsohn. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that they didn't go with the traditional just uh, Russian or Chinese or something that Americans like to put on villains. It's about time the Australians were the villains. (laughs) (laughs) So I
0: am shocked that this came out pretty well (laughs) because it is, I remember when the first trailer hit and they're like, what if Will Smith was a bird? And I turned to the person I watched it with and I said, what is that movie? What is it? But it's really charming. Mm. and it knows how silly it is. It's kind, of, I guess like the Lego movie. The Lego movie is very aware of how silly it is as a premise, so it just completely goes along with it. And I think Spies in Skies is wise enough to be like, we know this is really silly, bear with this, because we've got a lot of bird joke coming. And it's
2: interesting, do you think because this is a Fox film, which is the first animated release under the Disney umbrella. Yeah, because Disney they-
0: brought Fox last year, so technically it's a Fox mm. film, but now it's a Disney
2: film. I wonder how much play they had in you know, the,
1: yeah, the they, story. Yeah, they don't advertise that at all. If no. you didn't say that, people wouldn't know because no. yeah. it, it's mostly Blue Sky Animations who've mm. done this and they did Ice Age, Rio, Epic, and it is in that animated style. Mm. Yep. Tom Holland's character, Walter, kind of looks like that guy from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. He does a bit, <laughs> actually. <laughs> that really threw me. But it's Lucy based on a computer animated short from 2009 called Pigeon Impossible, and they picked up the rights to it and then... Obviously gave it more of a plot, changed yeah. some characters around. That little short was kind of like a Pixar short. Mm-hmm. And they're really funny, quirky, and they really latched onto that theme and ran with it. Did you find this is
0: something I noticed, and I, I want to know whether you think this as well, mm-hmm. that they, it seems that they've kind of modelled the characters on the actors that were playing them. So Will Smith's character doesn't look unsimilar to Will Smith. Tom Holland's character has the big floppy brown hair like yeah. Tom Holland mm. and it has Rashida Jones who plays the detective that's chasing them. kind of looks like Rashida Jones. yeah. And it's this interesting thing where it's like, well, you've got Will Smith, you kind of want it to be Will Smith. Yeah. So for all intents and purposes, that is just Will Smith. Yeah, it and definitely yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Except
1: which, when he's a pigeon. <laughs> but, <you laughs> which know. is the
0: shocking amount of the movie, we point out.
1: <laughs> Yes, and he has those weird floating eyebrows. Yes, yeah. Like oh, the pigeon. <laughs>
0: Anyways. One of my favourite aspects of this film is, it's going to sound like such a weird sentence to say, when Will Smith discovers he's slowly becoming a pigeon and he is picking up on very pigeon-like things, <laughs> like pigeon-like activities like eating trash or understanding other pigeons, mm. and he hates the fact that this is happening to him because he's a super cool spy. Yeah. He doesn't want to be a pigeon. Yeah, I thought those little moments every now and then, I thought, I don't know, he just had a lot of really charming, funny moments.
2: So there's a lot of humour in it for, for adults, you'd say.
0: Yeah, cause, and especially because I wasn't sure whether or not, because it plays kind of young, so I wasn't sure whether yeah. it would kind of hold my attention as a man rapidly approaching his 30th year. Uh, so I took my brother and his kid when we went to see it. And uh, obviously cinema full of kids as well, just like screaming. Like they loved it. <laughs> but afterwards, me and my brother came out being like, it was good, right? Like, we also like So I think it does have that yeah. layer, not as much as like a Pixar or something. It's not quite on that level. It's just, it's just far better than it should be.
1: You know what? I think it's because it doesn't rely on toilet humour or sexual humour that a lot of Americans like to do. That's very true. It's more intellectual humour even though it is a little bit of a slapstick, like yeah. he's turning when Will Smith's character turns into a pigeon and he's kind of grappling with this idea that he can't fly. I don't know how to say a kawaka or something. Yes, it's how yeah, yeah. birds <laughs> have a hole for both poop and we. It's oh. just one. Yeah, And, he, like, and Tom Holland apologises for that. Yeah, He's very <laughs> shocked by that. So I learned something about birds. Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's got that layers, right? It's got jokes for the kids, but it's also got jokes that go over the kids' heads. The parents will like like that that joke in particular. I thought was very funny. (laughs) So, who do you think should see Spies in Disguise?
2: Yeah, I think if you're a fan of slightly older than, say, Playmobil the movie, uh, which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, you'll enjoy this. It's not to the level of, as you say, Pixar, but I think it's for probably early teens. I'd say
1: it's definitely one of the better kids films that is out at the moment. I'd recommend go see this one. Also, if you liked those, uh, I say trio movies, (laughs) it's in that same (laughs) genre.
0: Now, for your chance to win a Gold Class Double Pass, simply head to the Village Cinema's Facebook or Instagram page, look for the Cinema Crew post and answer the question.
2: What is your favourite Matthew McConaughey film?
0: All right, all right, all right. Simply leave your answer with the hashtag the crew in the comments for your chance to win. Next week, Time is the Enemy in 1917. More spy action in the family comedy My Spy. And Shaun the Sheep hits the big screen again in the feature film Farmageddon. Until next time, thank you, Vari. Cheers. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. My name is Michael Campbell. Have yourself a very happy new year.
1: And we'll catch you next time on The Cinema Crew.
0: Village.